How many of you have seen Elf? How many think it's one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time? <laughs> How many have not seen Elf? Humbug, I say to all of you. Humbug! You must go home and, and re- <laughs> repent. <laughs> I love this movie. I think it's one of my favorites. I don't watch a lot of movies over and over again, but I have watched this one so many times. Now, for those of you who are visiting and th- for those of you who aren't visiting, you might find it a little surprising that we're kicking off the season of Advent with clip, clips from the movie Elf. But here's, here's the deal on this day when we're talking about the joy of this season. Um, the thing about Buddy is that he finds joy in such ordinary things, like, well, like chewed gum that he pulls off of the hat. Does it, it makes you gag, doesn't it? Just watching it. I've seen it every time. It makes me want to throw up. Or when he gets into the revolving door in the hotel. Um, we were back in Asheville, North Carolina this last week for uh, Thanksgiving with our Rachel. And we went to Asheville, and there's an old building there, the, the uh, Grove Arbor. Uh, no, that's not right. I get it wrong every time. Anyway, there's an old building that has one of those revolving doors. And we had just watched Elf the night before, doing our research, of course, for the, for the sermon. And so Sydney runs over to the door and starts running around inside. The first lady of the church. I wish you could have seen it. She was letting it rip there. So it's harder than it looks, she told me. Uh, it's easy for us in this season to take Christmas for granted. It is easy for us to sing joy to the world as we just did and yet to treat it in a really an ordinary way. And so one of the reasons for doing this this season is we would love to look at Advent, look at the coming of Christ with new joy-filled eyes. So that's what we are about. If you walked in here for the first time this morning... Uh, that's what this is about. And, and I should warn you, by the way, we are trying to learn how to be a little more friendly to our, our guests. We want to be more and more hospitable. Some of you grabbed me by the hand and said, I'm sitting, I sat in a new place last week and you weren't even here. I said, it's not about me, but... Good, good job, good job. So, well done on you. But if you are new to us, you might find yourself being greeted in a particularly warm fashion. And I'll be honest with you, we Presbyterians, we don't know how to do this sometimes, uh, especially the whole hugging thing. It doesn't come easily for us. And, and in fact, it kind of reminds me of another clip from Elf. What's your name? My name's Buddy. 
Any of you hate raccoons? All right. I'm just saying that after the service, there might be some who are going to be greeting you in a particularly enthusiastic fashion. Please don't respond that way. Understand that they're under orders to try to be nicer. So there you go. So even though we're going to be having fun with some movie clips in the coming weeks, next week it's Christmas, the Christmas Carol. Um, We are also going to do every weekend what we do every weekend. And that is we're going to turn to the Bible and see what it has to say to us. And this Advent season, we're doing something a little unusual. We are going to be uh, looking at the Gospel of John, the first chapter of John. For those of you who uh, know the Bible a little bit, that might come as a surprise to you. Because you will remember that the Gospel of John doesn't have a Christmas story, does it? There's no Bethlehem, there's no Mary, no Joseph, no angels, no wise guys, no, no nothing. There's no, no Christmas in there at all. Here's what I think happened with John. He wrote his gospel about 20 years after the other guys. And I think he read what his friends Matthew and Luke had written about the Christmas story. And he said, well, they covered that pretty well. I think I'm going to go back, way back to the beginning of the story. In fact, way back to the very beginning of time. When we read the opening verses of this gospel, which you heard read as part of our candle lighting, and you'll hear it again, we have really moved to the mists of prehistory. And it might seem a little unusual, some of the things that we, that we read in there. It might not make sense to us, but I promise you that those who read this for the very first time, way back in the first century, they, they would have been shocked by what you just heard read. The first century Jews would have been shocked by what you just heard read. And the first century non-Jews, Gentiles they were called, or, or Greeks, they also would have been shocked for a very different reason. So I want you to listen one more time to this reading and see if you can discover the shocking parts of John's opening, his prologue to his gospel. And by the way, I'll give you a hint. John has a nickname for Jesus, and that in itself was quite shocking. So pay attention. Uh, there will be a test after the reading. All right, here we go. John chapter 1. Verse 1 through 5, this is the prologue of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, thank you for these majestic words, this glimpse that we get into the glory of your eternal Son. We pray, God, that the the truth of that will resonate in our hearts in a way that it never has before. For we ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. Did you, how many think you spotted a, at least one shocking thing in the reading? Raise your hand. <laughs> Shall I recite it again? All right, I'll give you a start. How about, how about this? What was the nickname that John has for Jesus? Word. 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 Light later also. But the very first thing he says is word. In the beginning was the word. The word word in Greek is logos. Say that. 
logos. And again, that's a, a strange uh, term to us. It wouldn't have made any sense to us. But actually, at the time, if you knew anything about the philosophy of the time, Greek philosophy of the time, you would have understood that word immediately. Because logos was another word that was used to describe what was considered to be a spiritual cosmic force. The logos was believed to be kind of the cosmic glue that held everything together. Or put it a different way, it was the, it was the force that made everything work. And, uh, and actually, we're very fortunate to live in the days of Star Wars because when you hear Luke Skywalker say, may the force be with you, that sounds like a Greek philosopher from the first century. They would have thought that that's what they were hearing because that's exactly the sort of thing that made this impersonal, powerful force in the universe. May that be with you. That is what logos means. And John co-ops that word. He steals it. He steals it from Greek philosophy and he turns this, this impersonal force into a person. In the beginning was the word. That would have been a shocker for the Gentile readers. But the Gentiles weren't the only one that were being shocked. There should have been some things in there that would have been a surprise to the Jews. Did you spot those? How about the first three words of the, of the gospel? Say them together. Go. Why would that have been shocking to the Jews? Because those are their words. That's the very beginning of, the, of their first book of their Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, which describes the, the creation of the universe. It starts out that precise way. In the beginning. And yet John has, has taken this idea. And, and, and he is using it for himself. The Jewish reader would have been shocked to hear those words being co-opted from Holy Scripture. And plugged into the beginning of this man's, this man's message. This man's little letter. So, in the beginning, the Logos. What is John trying to do with taking these kind of shocking phrases? Well, he's trying to do the same thing that we did by running an elf clip at the beginning of a sermon, which is a little surprising and shocking. He's trying to get his reader's attention. Because he, what he wants to say is, listen, I'm going to tell you something that is about to blow your mind. So pay attention. Listen up. Because you've never heard of anything like the Logos that I'm going to tell you about is the most incredible person that has ever existed. And there are several shocking things that are attributed to the Logos. Several qualities to Logos, to the word that John mentions one right after another real quickly. First of all, he says the Logos is eternal. Did you hear that? We think of everything in terms of time, but God, of course, is outside of time. We forget that time itself is a creation of our eternal God who stands outside of time. Now, we are told right out of the chute that in the beginning was the Word. In other words, when the beginning came, when the beginning of time came, the Logos was already there. So he's, he's eternal. That's pretty remarkable. But we're just getting warmed up. He says, and the Logos is also divine. This would have blown the Jewish reader's mind, wouldn't it? He says, the Logos was divine. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word what? Was God. Not only with God, He was God. He's just going here. The divine Logos also, we discover, was the Creator. Through Him, all things were made. All things were made through Him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Who is this powerful force that is the agent of all of creation, this Logos? 
And not only did the Logos create everything, we are told that he brought it to life. In him was life. And the light was the light of men. John tells us that this life is so powerful, it's like the life-giving properties of the sun. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So the life that was in Logos, he says, is now in us, human beings. You will not find two or three verses that are going to have more deep, profound, dense theology tucked into them than these first few verses in John's gospel. You just won't find it. These are very audacious claims. This person named Logos is eternal. He is God. He is creator. He is life giver. And now comes another bombshell. Up to now, John has been writing in the past tense. Pay attention to what he does next. He writes, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Suddenly, he shifts from the past tense. Suddenly, he's not talking about someone who uh, we discover with from millions and millions and billions of years ago. Suddenly, we discover that John tells us that this powerful, divine, creative, life-giving person is shining right now. All of the spiritual powers of darkness that would seek to snuff out that light, they're powerless to do so. Because the shining, life-giving light of the Logos is inextinguishable. And right here we come to John's first Christmas hint. He's not as, uh, he's not as obvious about it with angels and shepherds and all of the rest. But there are hints in John's story about Christmas. In fact, in a few verses, John's going to come clean. We'll see it in a couple of weeks. He, we're going to discover that the Logos is in fact just a nickname. It's a code name for Jesus Christ. John is telling us that this Jesus is the eternal, divine creator of the universe, and that person has put on human skin and come to dwell with us. Come to pitch his tent in our midst. That Jesus who stepped out of eternity and into time, stepped out of heaven and onto earth, stepped out of the brilliance of God's presence and into the darkness of sin. He says that Jesus is the light that crushes all darkness and offers hope to every human being. The life-giving creator of the universe has come, he says, in person. You won't believe it, he says. He has come, this guy has come in person to set his creation right and nothing, no one, no force can stop him. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. If that doesn't deserve even a Presbyterian, amen. I don't know what does. How about it? Amen. And when we discover this, it it just keeps getting better. When we discover that this magnificent, eternal, divine, creator, Jesus, actually loves us personally, actually came to have a relationship with us personally, That is the best good news the world has ever heard. There's a reason that the angel stood up there and said, Glory to God in the highest. And then he goes on to say, Behold, I bring you good news of what? Great joy. Advent, the story of Christmas, all that we are talking about in these coming weeks, it is supremely about joy to the world. We chose Elf to kick off Advent because you cannot find a Christmas movie that better depicts pure joy like this guy, Buddy. 
In fact, as you watch the movie, and I hope all of you will, even though the elves are toy makers, it is incredible to us that the movie is not really about presents. It's not primarily about gift giving. It is about joy. In fact, there is another moment in the movie that is my favorite. Buddy's come back from the North Pole. He's in New York City. He's told that Santa is going to be coming and visiting Gimbel's department store the next day. Would you please watch his response to that news? You're already laughing. Tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. I love the, the boss's response. It was like, you are such a nut job. But um, why is Buddy so excited about Santa coming? He knows him. He knows him. He's not just an idea or a legend. He's a friend. He's a personal friend. And the thought of being reunited with his friend brings this irrepressible joy to him. That is the heart of Christmas, beloved. We are in the midst of preparations, and we need to remember that Christmas is not primarily about decorations or presents, not primarily about trees or feasts. It's not even about religious stories that warm our hearts. Christmas is about Jesus, the life-giving, inextinguishable light who wants, amazingly, who wants to be our friend. That is the reason we celebrate And if you're new to the faith, you may never have heard this before. Well, you've heard it now. And if you're old to the faith, you might have heard it so often that you've become numb to it. Listen to it again with new ears. Christmas is the reminder that this eternal Son of God, who created every single thing, including you and you and you, and breathed life into you and you and you, that eternal Son of God, who chases away every dark shadow invaded history 2,000 years ago. And if you will let him, he wants to invade your heart, take up residence there, and allow his light to chase out every shadow of darkness within you. If that doesn't fill you with joy, I don't know what will. I wonder if you join me in believing that Tuesday night might have been one of the most spectacular lightning storms that I have seen, at least as long as I've lived here. In Gig Harbor. It was astounding. We were looking out our window and, and we saw, I watched lightning strikes that came down and just decimated the darkness. It was pitch black and suddenly the light was just bright. The sky was brilliant. It was awesome and it was irresistible and it was a little frightening and you could not have shrouded that light if you wanted to. And that, we are told by John, that is the light that Jesus brings. For those who know him, that is the light that he allows to live within us. This light, this light is the light of men. And if that be true, why in the world would we ever want to hide that? My friend was telling me last week, he went to McDonald's for breakfast. And, uh, and he noticed a, a homeless woman that was sitting in the corner of the, of the restaurant. Now, he's been paying attention to all of these sermons on hospitality, as have all of you, I'm sure. And he decided that he wanted to bring a little light. It was time for him to bring a little light into this woman's life. And so, 
when he was ordering his sandwich, he, he also bought a gift card. And on the way out the door, he handed her the card and he said, Merry Christmas. Now, that is very cool. And if all, if all of you just went out and did that one time this week, that would be a lot of light spreading this week, wouldn't it? A thousand of those, that would be terrific. But he walked out the door, he thought, mm, God's not done with me yet. There's a little more light I'm supposed to shine. So he turns on his heels, listening to the Spirit, walks back into the restaurant, sat down across from her, introduced himself, and they talked for an hour. For an hour. He learned her name. He learned her story. He went in there to buy an Egg McMuffin. He, uh, but by this act of openness to the Spirit, this act of generosity and kindness, it became a flash of light that at least for that moment decimated whatever darkness there might have been in that woman's life. I think that's a wonderful story, don't you? And that's the sort of thing that happens when we have the personal relationship with Jesus that we're talking about here, that John calls us to. This meal that we're going to share right now, it is a a reminder of that personal relationship with our eternal divine creator of the universe named Jesus. This meal is our way of saying, Jesus, I know him. I know him. And more importantly of saying, and he knows me and loves me and gave himself for me. So we're coming to the table with joy this day because we have a Lord who knows us and we know him.